Hey everybody, welcome to another awesome Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett, and hanging out with me today is Pastor Hannah. Say what's up, Hannah. What's up? I've got myself a mocha frappuccino from Starbucks. And, um, oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah, it was, it's pretty delicious. Do, do you still get taken aback right now whenever you like go out into the world? And like it's it's different. Like I, you know, I pulled up to the drive-thru and the the barista had a face mask on and it's just like it's shocking mm. still. Yeah, I'm just shocked. I've been going into the office this week and there's just no traffic around at all. <laughs> like nobody's driving. Yeah. Yeah, I tweeted out a couple of days ago something about like how I the, I can really get used to this traffic and this weather right now. <laughs> yes, but I also don't want to stay inside and also this is terrible and it does need to be over quickly. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm totally like I just miss my parents and i miss bringing my son around my parents and it's, it's mm-hmm. ridiculous go go away i i blow you away coronavirus like that crazy preacher <laughs> hey this is our weekly uh podcast where we sing to you it's the end of the world and we know it I until this is over fine. <laughs> so yeah if you're feeling crazy i mean just know so are we and hopefully we're going to bring you some nice calming imagery from the book of revelation (laughs) to make you feel at ease with the world that's what revelation is known for calm imagery (laughs) okay i think uh i think we should just like jump right in Uh, i just want to say thank you to everybody who's listened so far this has been so fun and uh, i hope you love it as much as we do yep so we are going to jump into chapter two today which is we are starting the section of revelation that is probably the most well-known it's the letters to the seven churches and so in chapter two there are letters to four different churches so i'll go ahead and read the first passage and then we will jump in okay this is chapter two verses one through seven write this letter to the angel of the church in ephesus this is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands i know all the things you do I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Got it. So that is... It makes perfect sense. I I got it. I don't even think we need to talk about it. Oh, well, give me a synopsis then. (laughs) Okay, so obviously Jesus... That's it. That's the that's my whole answer. <laughs> Good synopsis. I think we can probably go a little bit deeper. Okay, okay, let's do it. Which <laughs> So, Ephesus is a city that you can visit still today. Um there's still a lot of ruins there that date back to the 1st century and the amphitheater is there and you can also tour like the gladiators graveyard, which is pretty cool. Wow. And there is the Temple of Artemis, which is still standing. And standing I use loosely, but it still exists. Um, Artemis is wisdom? the Greek name for the Roman goddess Diana. Okay. I feel like she's the goddess of wisdom for some reason. 
don't know. I should have written that down. <laughs> of course, you're going to ask that question. Somebody I fact don't know. check this. It's if okay. He, yes. Fact check Jarrett, please. Yeah. On who Artemis is. Um, but basically, Artemis was one of the main gods in that area. And so she has this amazing temple built in Ephesus in the province of Artemis. And the population was probably like 250,000 people back then because it was the local capital, the most important city in all of Turkey. Remember, all of these churches are in modern-day Turkey. Okay, and Ephesus, so you can s- uh, like Ephesians, obviously, right? Like, same yes. part of the world. Exactly. The book of Ephesians was written to the people living in Ephesus. Sweet. However, all of these things are still standing in Ephesus. You can still see it. It's still a major city center. But what you do not see in Ephesus today is an active church. There is not a single one in the entire place. Church, like Christian church. Correct. Okay. And on the surface, that might not seem that crazy, um, but Ephesus was one of the major centers of Christianity in because it had the book of Ephesians written to it. Like it was so important. It has a book of the Bible named after it. Um, and in I would say in the second century, there's a lot of Christian writers that are holding up Ephesus as this like amazing witness of the faith. Could it be kind of like hundreds of years from now, somebody visits the Bible Belt and there's no churches? Right. Or even think like uh, in Washington, D.C., even though that's not technically the Bible Belt, it's the same kind of a capital city, a major important place. And to think that there's not a single church, active church in it any longer. Yeah. And it's got all these cool buildings and monuments, but they don't, you know, there's nobody there churching it up. Right. And Ephesus, I mean... Archaeologists even found like ruins that could possibly be the church where one of the fifth century councils took place, which there's all these councils in church history of like important (laughs) church leaders getting together and deciding on doctrine and deciding how the church is going to proceed in history. And yet, so it was important enough in the fifth century. So think like 400, 500 AD. It was still that important. And yet now there's no churches at all. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Right. And John's John is writing to this audience who they have all of these Christians in Ephesus. It's very important. So for them to think that there would be no church in Ephesus at all would be unthinkable to them. Hmm. But it's precisely this that Jesus is trying to get across. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand out of its place. And in chapter one, what did we say the lampstand represents? Oh, no. I don't want you to ask me about the old episodes. <laughs> I definitely don't remember. Okay, hold on. <laughs> the lampstand represented... I don't remember. The churches. Just Okay, the churches. Okay. Yes. So when Jesus says, I, if you don't repent, I'm going to come and remove your lampstand, he is essentially saying, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove the church from this place. Wow. Okay. Which is... That's a pretty harsh threat. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't so get much worse than the than that. I don't think <laughs> it's you're not. Oh, suspended. it can definitely get worse. <laughs> okay, good point. Good point. <laughs> we shall keep reading in Revelation, but for <laughs> Ephesus, it definitely doesn't get worse. Okay. And so, something to keep in mind when we think about these little short letters to the churches, um, they're very sharp and pointed to a specific church but through that church to every other church in the area and all other churches of all time. So each particular blurb to a church, so this one is to Ephesus, that is, it has local flavor to it, 
and it's very pointed to Ephesus, but it can inform us wherever. So every letter begins with this reminder of some description of Jesus. So right here we have the reminder is Jesus is the one who's holding the seven stars and he stands in the lamps next to the lampstand. Okay. Then there's some kind of congratulations as to what the church is doing well. Way to Although go. You're in Laodicea, it. yes, but in Laodicea there's nothing to praise. <laughs> and then there's some kind of warning about what's going badly. And there's two churches where there's no warning about anything going badly, and that's Smyrna and Philadelphia. And then, so it goes a reminder of what Jesus is, what you're doing good, what you're doing bad, and then a promise with the Spirit, a warning and the promise. And it basically, every single letter ends the same. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Cool. So it's almost kind of like, would it be fair to say... This is maybe kind of a stretch, but they're, they're, these are kind of like fables in the sense that we can look for the um, truth in it and apply it to our current church, but they're not exactly like fables because he was definitely writing to a real church. Yeah, I would, exa- I would say exactly that. Okay, cool. And so the local flavor in each letter is very interesting. In Ephesus in particular, we already talked about Artemis and the temple of Artemis. So Artemis has, in its temple, it was like a huge area of land and it had this amazing garden and it was just a beautiful area. It was well known for that. And in the middle of the garden, there was a particular tree, which was a sacred shrine. And it also had a function as like a point of asylum. So if you were a criminal and you could get to the tree, you would be free from capture and punishment. Of course, it was very difficult to get to the tree. But that tree essentially is a tree of life. Okay. Because if you could get to the tree, you could get back your life. And then so it's you no stay accident. there forever? <laughs> no, if you got to the tree, then that was, your sentence was commuted. Ooh, man. Essentially. It's pretty cool. Yes. So when... This is, it's no accident that John says this letter is finishing with a promise of God's paradise, a beautiful garden with a tree at the center. Cool. Yeah, I was immediately thought of the, you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I was like, wait, no, no, that's not exactly what it's saying here. It's the tree of life. Right. So basically, John is saying, you think you have a tree of life, the tree of Artemis. But God's paradise has the actual tree of life. But if you repent and conquer, you'll have the right to eat from the tree. But if you don't, (laughs) Jesus is going to come remove your lamp from its lampstand. Very cool. So like a modern modern version of this is, uh, let's imagine a church in Pennsylvania. It's for anyone who does good, I will give them the real Liberty Bell. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) With no cracks. I mean, the crack is what makes it beautiful, right? There's a whole life lesson in that, too. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> so we have this letter that opens by reminding the church in Ephesus that Jesus is the sovereign one. So he holds the, the stars. He holds the lampstands. And when he looks at the Ephesian church, Jesus is delighted. They've worked hard. They've been patient under all these threats and persecution. They have even drawn a very clear line between those who are following Jesus and those who are not following Jesus, and they've discovered false teaching and refused to listen to them and refused to let these people influence anybody else. Nice. All good things, right? Yeah. You'd think that they were crushing it, but yet Jesus has a complaint. 
<laughs> and his complaint is that if you are concerned, rightly concerned with the truth of the gospel, it is very easy to forget that the heart of the gospel is love. And so the Ephesians have fallen into that trap. They, it yeah. says in verse four, you have abandoned the love you showed at the beginning. Yeah. So they're so they're doing so well at like, you know, kicking people out or saying this person's a false prophet or that person's that, that they're forgetting to just love each other and love God. Yes. They're doing, they're so focused on orthodoxy. Yeah. That they, which is the right belief that they have forgotten orthopaxy, right feeling, and practice. Okay, say and those words again. Orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is is right belief. Mm-hmm. Orthopathy is right feelings, or orthopraxis would be right practice. Interesting. I'm very so familiar they, with orthodoxy, but I don't know that I've ever heard orthopaxy before. Right. And because we don't talk about it, because in the evangelical church, perhaps this letter to the Ephesians could be written to us <laughs> because we are so concerned that people believe the right thing yeah. that we have forgotten that the thing that we believe more than anything is that we are to love God and love people and not stab people with the sword coming out of our mouth. <laughs> Only Jesus has the right to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And so the Ephesians... They, we say, oh, they've abandoned their love. Now, this could potentially refer to like the love that they have for Jesus himself. And I've seen it taken that way a lot of times where people are like, they just didn't have the devotion to Jesus that they did once upon a time. But it's clearly a matter of things that people actually do in this passage. Yeah. And because it does Jesus say, doesn't just say. Sorry. Uh, it does say you don't love no, me I... or each other. Right. It says, Jesus says, repent and do the works you did at the beginning. Yeah. So they used to be doing something and then they quit. Because love is something you do, especially in the Christian sense. But I think in all the senses, right? If you say you love someone, that's something you show through your actions, not something you just verbalize. Yeah. Love and is a verb. Exactly. Thanks, DC Talk. <laughs> <laughs> and this love, this showing um, hospitality and giving help to those who are in need, especially to other Christians who were poor and sick and widowed and orphaned, etc. That was what the early church was known for. No other non-ethnic group had ever behaved like that. And that's why it was so upsetting to the rest of the world to see these people across class lines, across race lines, helping each other genuinely. And this is what the church has forgotten to do in Ephesus. Man, yeah. And, you and it's can, very easy. Yeah. It, like now we have the perfect opportunity to do that in these Corona times. Um, it's, it might look a little different because you have to do it with a mask on. But how many of you guys have like seen really cool stories of hope and love on social media? And uh, that, I mean, clearly Jesus cares a lot about that and he wants us to keep it up. Right. And not just, not just cares a lot about it. Without it, the gospel is nothing. So without yeah. love being put, what did Jesus do? God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? So God did something when God loved the world. So if we say we love God and we have God's love in us and we don't do anything, then we're, li we're lying. There's no way around it. And something as simple as a mask, like maybe it looks differently now, 
but wearing a mask is an act of love for your neighbor who doesn't need your germs, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> So it totally. can be that small. Yeah. And the, if it's really easy to let it slip and just exist in this like vaguely comfortable, happy existence where we put our needs first, especially in an individualistic society like we live in, which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with living in an individualistic society, but a lot of cultures are not so individualistic and they really value groups and caring for the group more than we do in Western culture. Yeah. Yeah. And just like anything, it's a, there's a balance, you know, it's the metaphor of you got to put your mask on first before you can help somebody else with their mask. Um, so sometimes right. you do need to know when to like self-care. Uh, but if that's all you do, then, you know, you're out of whack in that direction. Right. And there's a difference. And I think this needs to be said very loudly in churches because churches have been against self-care um, and against any kind of psychological... <laughs> I don't even want to say psychological help. We have been against negative emotions, perhaps, is a better way to put it. And so we just, we placate people and we give them these useless platitudes that are like, well, just trust in the Lord. (laughs) And all things work together for good. And that's really, it does nothing. Yeah. Regardless of whether it is true that you should trust in the Lord or that all things will work together for good, it does nothing to help a person in a situation. And that's not love either. So there's a difference between being selfish and having a proper level of respect and love for the person that God has made you to be. And I think both are really valuable. Yeah. So I don't know why I got on that tangent. (laughs) (laughs) But the Ephesians need to wake up and get back on track. They're just not doing anything to help anybody is essentially what Jesus is saying. (laughs) And then there's like some little point that in the letter that is hard for us to understand. It says the church in Ephesus refuses to tolerate the Nicolaitans. And we, by we, I mean like historical Christian scholars, no luck in figuring out who these people are. <laughs> we, there's literally like nothing. We, ha- we have no idea who the Nicolaitans are. Ooh, but yeah, apparently, I know it's just something that was lost to history. And a reminder that this letter was not written to us. It was written to people who knew who the Nicolaitans were. Yeah, and apparently the Nicolaitans did evil deeds. Right. And they were it seems like they were a group or some kind of sect that was trying to teach some sort of strange new practice or introduce something weird into the church. <laughs> um, okay. But they weren't come and it's not to say that God can never introduce new things to the church. It's to say that new things come from prayerful study of scripture, prayerful community, and these people did not seem to be doing that. So we don't know. If you know who the Nicolaitans are, <laughs> write us an email. I'd be shocked. I'm going to hit YouTube tonight and, and just figure it out. I'm <laughs> sure there's luck. lots of really sane videos about who they are. Yes, YouTube is always the best place to start when doing any kind of academic research. <laughs> so there's something you will see in every single letter and we see it in this one and we're going to see it in the rest of them is they keep emphasizing the importance of conquering what are you conquering so the main challenge that all of these churches including the ephesians are going to face is persecution um 
In fact, it seems like the seven letters are being written as the Lord is preparing them for something even worse to come. And we see this in the letters. They're like, I know it's been rough for you, but buckle up. It's about to get horrible. Oh, man. <laughs> and they're to conquer. And the reward always comes when they conquer. But how do you conquer if you're a person of faith? Yeah, um, usually not with swords. Right. How yeah. did Jesus conquer? suffering and laying down his exactly. life. Exactly. Exactly. So Jesus won the victory through patient suffering and so will the church. So some are probably going to suffer. Some are going to die, but everyone has to bear patient, faithful witness just as Jesus did. And that itself will conquer these evil forces that surround the church. Yeah. That, that verse stuck out to me when we, when we read it, verse three, I think. Yeah. You have patiently suffered mm -hmm. for me without quitting. I just saw, um, a video on uh, Facebook that somebody posted. It was like Francis Chan explaining why the Chinese church is like exploding so much. And it was mm -hmm. their embracing of suffering. Now I haven't fact checked any of this. I don't know if it's bananas or if it's makes total it's sense. It's not bananas. And if you look historically anywhere, the church has been persecuted. It has exploded. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I don't want to be the person that's like the American church needs persecution. Because, <laughs> I mean, I don't want it. That's mm -hmm. for sure. I want to be able to worship freely, and I want all of that. But when there is it, – suffering and persecution draws a very clear line between people who are just in it for their – to feel good and people who are in it because it's part of who they are. Yeah. I think it's one of those things, too, that's like – it's it's uh it's human like i don't know if it's if it transcends christianity like you know because you see it in in any in any aspect of life when there's suffering people rise to the occasion or if it's like yeah that it, that's how it's baked in that's how god set it up for for humans to respond um i don't know if it's the chicken or the egg or whatever but like there's a funny saying that you know nobody wants to eat the food of a uh, of a country who was not oppressed like all the all the best chefs come from like countries where there's oppression because whenever you're just mm -hmm. stomped down like that you know you get creative and you you know you rise up and uh i mm -hmm. think there's there's something to be said about that you know we find out who we are th through great love and great suffering absolutely which is you know the best-selling message of christianity <laughs> and what is going to make us millions and millions of dollars. You will find your faith through pain and suffering. <laughs> come join us. That's come. a wrap. I'll see you on Monday. <laughs> yeah, come come sit with me on Sunday as we suffer together. Yes. I there was um this is also a tangent. This is probably going to be a tangenty episode. When I was in my undergraduate degree, we had chapel services and there was a missionary kid. Um I say kid, he was probably like 20 cuz we were in college. Um and he was from South Africa, possibly. Um, and he preached in the middle. He, he like preached his senior chapel. And then when he prayed at the end of it, he prayed for persecution to rain down on American Christians so that they could have and grasp some kind of understanding of what real faith was. Wow. It was the most awkward prayer I've ever heard. <laughs> like not the prayer itself was awkward, but like the response of the crowd and Nobody said anything. Like, at the end, everyone just kind of filed out quietly. And I've never forgotten that prayer. He didn't get it any was amens? Intense. He didn't get a single amen. <laughs> <laughs> everyone was like, no, persecution? What are you talking about? 
And there's no way to walk that back. But I mean, that's what this letter in Revelation is. There is persecution coming and you have to keep firm to the faith because that is what faith is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the Bible's pretty clear. There's a lot of talk about blessed are the poor in spirit, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And just blessed are the plain poor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not the rich. Yep. It's all upside not, down. Not the majority, I should say. Yeah. So, but enough about that. Let's talk about Smyrna, <laughs> the next church on our list. Do you want me to read it? Um, would you like to read the next few verses? Yes, that'd be yeah. great. Can we remind everybody, are we reading, is this uh, New Living Translation still? This is the New Living Translation. It will be all the way through. Anytime okay. I we read the scripture will be New Living Translation. But as we said before, any translation you will read is the best translation for you. Hey, man. Okay. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Hmm. There's some uh, challenging passages in the Bible, and I find that a lot of people struggle with this one. The phrase specifically that says, I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. (laughs) That is quite a statement to be making about someone else and so let's we need to think through it because it would be really easy to just be like oh well you know john's just being dramatic (laughs) but there is very specific meaning behind this okay and also in the real world there's obviously tough questions and challenges and we can't shy away from them in the real world or in the bible yeah my my guess my immediate guess is like it's just specific to who he's talking about like maybe there's one it, like really horrible church that he's like, no, they're terrible. Yes, but it's not a church. It's a synagogue. So Sorry, he's synagogue, talking yeah. about Jews, which is important to note. Um, so the, when we think about a tough question, here's a tough question. If you're a Christian or you're a Jew in this time, who are the true children of Abraham? Is it his physical family? Because the Jews would say, yes, yeah. it is his physical family. Of course, not the descendants of Ishmael. <laughs> right, right. And Esau, some of his physical family. Some of his physical family. Or is it the larger worldwide family that God promised to Abraham? And Paul goes over this again and again in Romans and in all of his writings. And so when we think about this letter being written to Smyrna, Christianity is not its own thing yet. So it's a struggle inside of Judaism, not outside. It's not as though Judaism is fighting Christianity that exists by itself. Most of the Christians, other than these Gentiles who are coming in, they began as Jews. Yeah. So, and and even the people who are Gentiles, they're they're basically co-opting the Jewish faith, the Jewish scriptures, the Jewish, uh, they're claiming all of these promises are filled in Jesus, who was the Jewish Messiah. So they're saying that they're the true Jews. Right, right. Which Which obviously would be very upsetting to the Jews. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right now remember western turkey 
At the time Revelation was written, it has a fair number of Jews and non-Jews in the little Christian church, but there is a much, much larger synagogue community who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Not at all. And so when the Christian faith says, well, we're not starting a new religion, we're saying we fulfilled your religion. (laughs) This causes a major problem. (laughs) And then this problem escalates when the members of this particular synagogue in Smyrna are not content to just reject Jesus himself, but they're like actively calling down curses on Jesus and on the church, the little Christian church. That's what it means when it says they blasphemed him. Um, okay. It doesn't mean they took God's name in vain. <laughs> they would never do that. They're Jews. Um, hmm. It means they're actively cursing them, not cursing at them. They're like, mm, I, we don't really have context for this. Like Shakespeare, like a plague yes. upon your house. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it's who's the true Jew? Because you can't say both. You can't say that Jesus is the Messiah. And that he's not. That those two statements don't go together. Yeah. So Paul's answer in Romans is the person who is the true Jew is the person who has faith. That is the mark of belonging to the family of God. Not circumcision, faith. And so John would agree with that. I think Jesus would agree with that. Which means that this Jewish congregation has become a Satan synagogue. Not because they're like going and beating people up (laughs) who are in the Christian church. But in a very specific sense. So Satan literally is the accuser. And this synagogue is accusing the Christians of all kinds of things. So they're not saying the synagogue belongs to the devil. They're saying it's <laughs> acting like the devil in in its accusing of Christians, just as Satan is the accuser of people of faith. Yeah, yeah. It's not like a black mass satanic church. It's that they're just trying to stop the spread of what we would say is the true church right they're not uh, trying to stop is a nice way to put it they're like uh basically making up things and telling the authorities lies okay gotcha about this christian church they're saying that they're involved in all kinds of horrible rituals and like doing all kinds of crazy things yeah can can i pause here for one second i like Mm -hmm. i mean maybe duh and also maybe we're going to (laughs) talk about it more in a second but just like can you? I don't think that there's ever been another situation like this in any other religion. Um, this is something that feels very unique to uh, the Christian faith, um, and that's that we were we were born of like opening the doors. Like you were either born Jewish or you weren't, and that was the only way in. And then all of a sudden, this Jesus guy comes. And he just totally does away with that whole tribalism. And he says, no, everybody can come in. You don't have to have a certain bloodline. Like you're just, you're in if you have faith. And I mean, to me, that's like, gosh, that's the heart of what Christianity is all about. And like, we haven't gotten it right yet. We're still guarding the door today and trying to tell people that they're not allowed in because of X, Y, and Z. And you just look back and it's all here. Like it's, they're going through it in the Bible. We're still going through it now. And it sucks that it's still a thing, but it's so beautiful that that is like the thing, like come on inside. And that's what Christianity is all about. I think. Yes, that's exactly what Christianity is about. 
is that all can belong and all can be part of the family of God and all can access this, all can access God, which God was not accessible in that way before Jesus came. Right. And we are just hellbent on being the gatekeepers yeah. <laughs> and letting people know who's right and who's wrong. And we're, we're bent on orthodoxy. Yeah. Which is fine. Somebody needs to keep the beliefs like and write them down, right? But I guess my problem is, and we discussed this in the last episode, the church gets involved in politics and the church gets involved in um, all kinds of things, is we have made ourselves the gatekeepers of what Christianity is instead of saying... What is the worst thing that could happen? So, like, all the time I hear when people are thinking about who they're going to vote for, well, we have to vote for this person because if this other person wins, it'll be the downfall of the American church. Right. Or it'll just be all of our rights will be taken away. And I'm like, okay, but does that change your belief in God? Is God still in control? Is God still in heaven, as we see in Revelation, watching everything? in his sea of glass is your faith able to withstand persecution or are we reacting out of fear what is the worst thing that could happen if people come in that don't look like us yeah maybe we would learn what true acceptance and love feels like right right and then the other thing that's ironic is you know um <laughs> we were the ones let in like it wasn't we we weren't born looking Jewish. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, we're we're. Well, not, I mean, the, I was. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You you were. I was not. And whenever we think of you know evangelical Christianity, it's mostly a white American thing. I mean, I know it's not really, but that's what most of the people that we come it's into contact with. It's what it is with. currently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that currently, would be a better way to say it. Near where we live. <laughs> um, yeah, and, I'm thinking of the parable in the New Testament where the the king forgives someone who owes him a lot of money and then and like could never repay the debt. It was so astronomical. It would be like <laughs> millions of dollars this yeah, king forgave yeah, and this guy. Yeah, and then he goes and doesn't and then forgive. He goes and doesn't forgive the debt of someone who owes him like 15 bucks and has him thrown into jail. Yeah. And the king is like, what is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> do you not understand anything of what I've told you or shown you? And then that's where we are. Yeah. He's just like, <laughs> God has oh, forgiven us. Yeah. You forgave me because I'm special. This guy's not special. No. We can't. Whenever we point the finger at someone else, it's because we do not understand the magnitude of what God has saved us from. And I'm mm. not talking about hell. I'm talking about our own hearts. Man, you just spoke right to my heart. I'm going to I'm going to do that as a pull quote <laughs> and put it on social media tomorrow. I mean, then I'll be insta famous. <laughs> and then people will listen to the Revelation podcast and be like, "Oh no, that's not the message I signed up for." <laughs> It's interesting, too, in this church, so this hor these horrible things are happening to them, and Jesus has nothing to criticize about this church at all. Like, the only point of this letter is to be like, yep, it's going to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> but I have no complaints against you. You're wonderful. I uh, Maybe I'm jumping ahead here. What's the significance of the you will suffer for 10 days? Um, we don't... 
I'm not really sure. I wouldn't, as in any numbers in Revelation, take them literally. Yeah. It's not like someone's going to be in jail for literally 10 days. It could be, I mean, maybe it could be 10 days. Yeah. Um, but it, we don't really know. I thought maybe there was like a known like thing back then. Hey, if you are caught doing this, the sentence is jail for 10 days or, or something. I mean, it's possible. I don't know the answer, okay. which, I mean, I don't know a great many things. <laughs> so that's not surprising. I'm sure that there have been volumes written on what the 10 days means. So there's plenty of research out there if anyone is willing to look. I would just say be careful because where you're looking. <laughs> if anyone you, wants yeah. further resources on re, on Revelation, let me know. I'm happy to direct you to some commentaries. Um, just don't go reading everything you read you see on Revelation. <laughs> As we discussed previously, there's a lot of fan fiction written <laughs> about this book. So the Christians in Smyrna, he's warning them. There's more persecution on the way. The devil's going to imprison them for 10 days, for however long. The devil's going to test them. But anyone who is faithful all the way through death, just as Jesus was, will receive a crown of life. Now, you you can also interpret this like crown of life as life as a crown. That's another way to phrase it, hmm. which you can think um, the tr the true renewed life in God's new age. So if you have life in God's new age, you're going to be marked out in ro as royalty and in crowns. If you make it that far, you're going to have a special symbol that shows that you have suffered in the same way that Jesus suffered and you still made it through. And this is the local flavor because Smyrna itself was known as a city with a crown <laughs> because it was on the top of a very hill and it looked like a crown if you were standing at the bottom. Nice. John knows his audience. He really does. <laughs> and of course, anyone who is afraid of facing death for their beliefs, that's a completely valid fear. John's not belittling that. It's not as though Revelation is saying, hey, don't be afraid. It's saying, I know this is going to suck, but you have to keep the faith um, because there's two forms of death. And we see this in Revelation too. So there's, of course, bodily death, which everybody has no matter what. No one is surprised by death. I mean, I hope no one is surprised by the fact that we all die, even though we fight against that very vigorously <laughs> over and over again. And we try to do all of these things to not die. We're all going to die. There's a bodily death. But there is a much worse fate which is the second death in Revelation, which is the fate of those who deliberately and continually refuse to follow Jesus and to worship God. And it seems like this second death will do for their entire personality what first death does for your physical body. That's, yeah, okay. That's, that's something and, right there. Yeah, that's as far as we're going to get into that right now. We're going to touch on that again later in Revelation. But for the moment... The point is, don't be afraid to face the first death. If you conquer and face that in patience, that will mean that you have nothing to fear from the second death. Because Jesus went through the first death and came back to life. And so will you. Okay. That's, um, I guess that feels okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if Revelation doesn't make you a little bit of uncomfortable, like, are you even reading Revelation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just sad that second death is nothing like second breakfast. 
Mm. I am hungry. I should have eaten before we did this. Yeah, you should uh, never uh, approach uh, Revelation on an empty stomach. <laughs> <laughs> so we've gotten through two of the four churches. Awesome. Um, so we're going to move on to the third church, which picks up in verses 12 through 17. And I'll go ahead and read that passage. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in a city where Satan has his throne, and yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among <coughs> you whose teaching is like that of Balaam. Excuse Bless me. you. <laughs> <laughs> Who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sins. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone. And on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one will understand except the one who received it. Okay, that one was weirder than the last one. <laughs> and getting weirder. So yeah, exciting. Yeah, yeah. And I got a little lost <laughs> I, whenever I was uh, recovering from my sneeze. Don't worry. you. Um, everyone is lost in the middle of this passage unless you're an Old Testament <laughs> scholar. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. So we're going to break it down. <laughs> uh, letter to the church in Pergamon in maybe 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so in thinking of the geography of Pergamum, so in Smyrna, we know it's at the top of a hill. Um, in Ephesus, we know there's this huge temple compound. So in Pergamum, there was this part of the city was on a hill and part of it was like down the side of the hill. Think like something you would see in California where the city kind of goes up a hill. And on the top of the hill, there's all these amazing temples in Pergamum, which dominated the view. Like if you were anywhere in Pergamum, you saw the temples. None cool. of them it's were like to the, Jesus, uh, of course. The Hollywood Hills. Correct. Exactly. You'd be like, oh, that's where the rich people live. Yeah. So it's Hollywood. <laughs> that's where the gods live. And all the local people were really proud of it. They were like, look at our city. Like, look, it would be like living in Washington, D.C. and being like, look at all these monuments and these fantastic museums. We did this. How wonderful. <laughs> But for the little Christian community, every time they walked out of their doors and looked outside, it was like completely dominating them. Like they were just, they just saw it as a threat. And it seemed like some Christians were not coping very well with this. Now, the letter refers to the city as the place where Satan has his throne, um, which is some local flavor here because Satan or the devil or the accuser, we have lots of names for this adversary of God elsewhere in scripture, but in Revelation specifically, Satan is also referred to as the ancient serpent. And in Pergamum, there is a shrine to the healing God Asclepius. I don't know how to say that word. Of course. If you know how to say that word and you're a Greek, a Greek scholar, I do apologize. <laughs> <laughs> the symbol of this God was a serpent. And in addition, Pergamon was a huge city center for the imperial cult of Rome and its emperors. So John in Revelation does not identify Rome with the devil. Rome is not the devil. The devil is a separate entity. 
However, the devil is, of course, been using Rome for his own purposes and specifically to attack the church. So that's what it means when it says the place where Satan has his throne. So how should a Christian live? If you live in Pergamum and every time you walk out of your door, you see all these temples, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to take part in normal life? No. Uh, which, of course, includes festivals to the gods in Rome and the emperor. Is there some way that a person could do enough to get by on both? Like, could they do enough to be involved civically and not get persecuted while still doing enough for the church? Probably not. To be not. counted among the righteous? Yeah. <laughs> now, Paul had already addressed this in Corinthians and Romans. You can go read these for yourself if you want to, but the advice perhaps will not be foreign to you. There's very careful rules. Do not compromise with pagan temples and cult. You will not worship anybody else or participate in their worshiping practices. However, we are going to have flexibility on food that has been offered to idols or meat and drink in general. So you cannot participate in the cult, but if you're eating a roast beef that came from the temple where it would have come, where it had already been sacrificed to the gods, and some people think that that's okay, that's fine for them. And if some people don't think that's okay, that's also fine for them. It seems like in Pergamum that some of these people just took that liberty of that's your opinion, that's my opinion, and just like completely assimilated into the culture. <laughs> There's, they're just going with the flow on everything. Gotcha. Um, some people denied <clears throat> this and they were punished. Clearly Antipas died. Um, yes. But then there's other people who maybe they saw what happened to this guy get and who got killed and they're like, no, I don't want to stand out. Like, I don't want to end up like him. I value my life. And for the people who don't want to stand out, Jesus has pretty stern words. And this is where we get into the Old Testament because he basically says this is the same mistake the Israelites committed when King Balak of Moab hired the prophet Balaam to curse Israel. Now, maybe none of these words mean anything to you <laughs> if you're listening, but Balaam was the, is the story, if you know it in the Old Testament, he was trying to deliver a message. And he's the donkey he was riding on would not let him go down the road and kept smashing him into a wall. <laughs> and Bala like multiple times. And Balaam is like, what the heck is going on using much stronger language than that? And then it says the Lord opens his eyes and he sees an angel standing in the middle of the path ready to cut him down, like literally kill him if he goes any further. Because Moab was the enemy of Israel. So the king of Moab hired Balaam to go prophesy or, or speak destruction against Israel. And he couldn't do it. He wasn't allowed. God would not let him do it. So instead, and this is the part of the story we never talk about in the Old Testament, Balaam told the king of Moab to just send some scantily clad Moabite women over to the Israelite camp and basically get them drunk and have a party. <laughs> And that they, after they, presumably all of these Israelite men in this camp had wives already. <laughs> so while ye couldn't curse them, the, sub, this, the more subtle temptation, temptation might work. And of course that temptation is sexual. And after these men get with these women, they have children with them. So of course they can't go to war against Moab 
where their kids live now. Oh. Um, yes. <laughs> and these women that they are with now, have they have their own gods that they worship. So the entire population is now drawn into worshiping gods other than Yahweh. The job was done, even though Balaam didn't ever make it down the road and curse them officially. Wow. So that's there's a lot behind the this little line of John saying or Jesus saying you tolerate some people whose teaching is like Balaam. So it seems like the problem is the people have lost their ability to say no to the surrounding culture. And it's I mean if you wanted a prostitute or if you wanted to have a sexual encounter with anybody <laughs> other than your partner, you had to go to the temple pretty much. So to think that the people, it's not as though we're talking about faithful partnerships or faithful married love here. Jesus and John are warning specifically against the people who think that it's okay to just do whatever they want, even if it's celebrating or imitating the practices of the Roman emperor empire i should say or emperor the emperors were known for being quite adventurous <laughs> that it's it's simply not okay and the sword that's coming out of jesus mouth in this image is always going to cut through any half-hearted spirituality that tries to get by on both sides tries to be just christian enough for the christians and just not christian enough for everybody else and so the letter concludes with a promise, although it's a little bit more obscure <laughs> here. It, so way back in the Old Testament, we've got the Israelites wandering around in the desert after they've been freed from Egypt. They're starving to death. God feeds them manna, bread that drops down from the sky. And this is the promise that Jesus is doing. I will do the same for you. The place you live might seem like it's starving you. It might seem like it's persecuting you, but I will give you secret manna to feed you. Wow. Okay, cool. That's, um, that's, that's like a... I don't know. That's a smart, that just seems smart. Like that's exactly what they need in that town. Yes. And this is even more exciting to me because I'm a nerd in there's this promise of a white stone with a name written on it. And in Pergamum, all of their great buildings were built out of black stone. They had a huge quarry of like local black stone that they built everything out of. And so if you wanted to put an inscription on it, you couldn't write it in the black stone because no one would be able to read it. So they would put white marble on top of the black stone and then carve inscriptions in it. Also, they have this custom, like if you were invited to a fancy feast, if you were a guest of honor, you would get a stone with your name carved in it. That was like your admission ticket because they didn't cool. like mail you invitations. <laughs> when Jesus promises that his disciples are going to be given a stone with a new name, He's promising this relationship. He's basically saying you're a very important person and you're going, not only are you going to get an invitation to the celebration at the end, it's going to have a secret name on it. Just like um, if you're, like think of two lovers who have like a secret name for each other that's like very intimate. That's the kind of in intimacy that Jesus is promising to these people. It's the opposite of the false intimacy that they're finding in the temple with prostitutes. Wow. It's the genuine intimacy of spiritual union with Jesus that they're going to get. They're going to be so close to God that God is going to give them a secret name that only they will use. They're going like, to be so close. Intense that metaphor. Jesus will call them Pookie. 
Pretty much. <laughs> I so uh not the weird bizarre sexual uh temple prostitution stuff. Not that. But this one feels like it's would be kind of written to me. Like I have um it's very easy for me to just be like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, yeah, if that's what they think, that's fine. Maybe they're right. What do I know? Um, like, if I was living in this town, I, I would probably be one of those people who's just like, yeah, I, I don't want to get martyred, so I'm just going to go hang mm-hmm. out at this temple for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems like, you know, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Like, put it in whatever context you need to. Like, if, eh, whatever, who cares? But obviously, this is, I think, probably the strongest worded letter yet. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and cool. I don't think we the evangelical church has sometimes appropriated this to be like we apply it to very specific things. We're like, well, like for example, when I was growing up, like you definitely would never go to a bar. Yeah, yeah, don't that, go to the club. Right, that is consorting with the world, and you're going straight to hell. Like there is no. It's like if we can't do X, whatever X is. Like, if I can't sleep with someone outside of my faithful relationship that I have with my partner, if that's the agreement we've come to, and I, I'm like, nope, don't want to do that. Well, then I can't ever do this and this and this and this and this. And we build all of these walls to ever prevent ourselves from being in any kind of situation where we could possibly be tempted. But that yeah. is not, where did Jesus hang out? Like, <laughs> right. where did the disciples hang out? He literally spent time with tax collectors and prostitutes. So it's not where you're spending your time. It's how you are on the inside, no matter where you are. Yeah. Is yeah, your the... soul trying to get out of it? Right. I guess. I'm yeah, not sure if that makes sense. The point isn't like the arbitrary boundaries that we come up with. The point is the point. Right. So, you know, I got this letter to Pergamum. Not a very famous one because it's harsh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, like, and I we can have see one more people... letter. Nice. I was, sorry, I was going to say, I, I could definitely see people using this in the wrong way to, like, just prove their point. To, like, you know, to prove how wrong someone else is. Like, you can't go to our rating, whatever it is. I could totally, Yeah. So right, don't be and that guess guy. what? Then we get to go back to the Ephesian letter, which it's the whole thing started was yeah. started with, and say, "What is the heart of the gospel?" Good point. The heart of the gospel is love. And any time I am looking at someone else and pointing my finger, it is because I don't understand the magnitude of what God has saved me from, and I'm not going on my own journey to find out why I am upset. <laughs> or why I feel the need to build boundaries or why I feel the need to protect something. There is some vulnerability or some fear in all of us that comes out when we when we do things like that and take scripture to harm other people. Yeah. Nice. And of course we don't want to do the hard work of no, dealing who, with that. Who wants to do the inner work? No. So... On that positive note, we should move on to the fourth letter (laughs) to the city of Thyatira. Okay. uh, I got this one. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. Man, Jesus is awesome. Mm -hmm. Sorry. (laughs) I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. 
and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her a time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person, and I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching. Uh, in parentheses, deeper truths, as they call them, depths of Satan, actually. <laughs> I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end. To them, I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my father, and I will also give them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Oh, delightful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That letter is even more intense than the first three. Yeah, yeah. And uh, definitely more confusing, I think. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. We're going to break it down. So <laughs> we'll start with the local flavor. The city of Thyatira, not as well known as the other six churches that uh, letters are written to. Um, but one of the things the city was famous for, like very famous for, was its trade guilds, guilds, especially the ones who did smelting work in copper and bronze. Yes, yeah, so, smelting. So, I mean, if you've played Skyrim or like any video games, you'll know what <laughs> smelting is. <laughs> but if you haven't, it's basically like bronze work. Like they were building things out of bronze, weapons, armor, et cetera, et cetera. So why would Jesus be referred to in his description as his feet are made of polished bronze? Because it's a direct attack on the local deity, Apollo Terimeneus. <laughs> yes. Who is the patron deity of the bronze trade? Now, this deity also appeared on all the local coins together with Caesar, the son of God. <laughs> so... There is particular power in the letter's opening where it announces the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames and whose feet are like polished bronze. Okay, got it. So all of these industries, these trade guilds, etc., they had become a major problem for the church in this area. So there's when you're the trade guilds in this area, they're not just like, hey, we all like working with bronze. Let's get together and hang out and like grow as people, we'll have a conference. No, there was also religious ceremonies and quasi-religious ceremonies and deities invoked and all of that happening in all of these trade guilds because of course that's how you did things. We can't imagine if you're like, oh, I'm in marketing, I'm gonna go to a marketing conference and then they like have a religious ceremony in the middle, you would think that was super weird. <laughs> Not super weird in this particular time. So. It seems like a lot of people in Thyatira are just taking these ceremonies and being like, oh yeah, I'm still gonna belong to the trade guild. I'm still gonna do everything that they're doing. I'm just gonna, you know, just be like, I don't believe in that part. And Jesus is saying, this is not an option. You're just doing this because you want to advance your own wealth and your own prosperity and your own comfort. You're not standing up for me because it's gonna cost you something. 
In the previous letter, we have this allusion to a famous old-timey biblical villain, Balaam. And here we have another ancient villain, Jezebel. <laughs> now, do you, what do you know about Jezebel? Oh, gosh. Um, not enough. Uh, she, uh, uh, I believe she was uh, a woman of looser morals. <laughs> That's certainly how she's portrayed today. Okay. As Jezebel was the wife of King Ahab, who went down in history as being one of the wickedest kings in the Old Testament of Israel. Um, she was foreign, so he married a foreign woman, which isn't like that crazy, honestly. People married foreigners all the time, especially if you were a king. But she introduced the worship of Baal. So Jezebel and Ahab are the villains in the story where Elijah, it doesn't rain for like months and months and months, and then... Yeah the prophets of Baal like there's like 400 prophets of Baal and they just can't call down fire from heaven to burn their sacrifice and then Elijah calls it down and burns it up instantly and then all the prophets of Baal are killed and then Jezebel hunts him down and tries to kill him because obviously he killed all of her prophets it's just this whole like ridiculous drama that could span like a trilogy of movies and in 2nd Kings her the summary of her evil deeds are referred to as whoredoms and sorceries. <laughs> which is the same kind of language we see here, Jezebel and this fornication. It's not a, I'm sure there is, it is a reference to sexual problems, but it's a metaphor specifically for playing around, being unfaithful with other gods. Yeah. So okay. you are yeah. claiming to worship Jesus. But because you're part of all these trade guilds, you're actually participating in these ceremonies and being like, it's not a big deal. I can worship them too. Yeah, you're whoring around with these other gods. <laughs> right. Now, of course, if you're doing all of these other religious ceremonies, there were many, many sexual practices that occurred because or within these ceremonies. Like literally, if you wanted a prostitute, you went to the temple. <laughs> of the god like any of the gods so that was the place to go so it's not to say that there wasn't some kind of sexual component it's just to think be below that before you even get to physical actions the fact that the christians were not actually standing up for what they believe in meant that they were already being unfaithful to jesus right yeah yeah so it's like a two-layered thing like yes there was some sexual stuff but that wasn't the main point the main point was the the heart that was uh, flirting with another lord. Right. And it cl it's clear the church is tolerating somebody who's teaching that all of this is okay. This person gotcha. who is nicknamed Jezebel. Um, <laughs> we don't know if she was like an official teacher or what, but clearly she has great influence because she makes it specifically into this letter. And as far as Jesus is concerned, the whole thing is a disaster. <laughs> this whole thing, the church has no business at any point compromising with pagan worship um and of course he pronounces judgment on this person who is do leading all of these other people to think that it's okay to have all of these other faiths be more important to you than yeah. jesus interesting that he um, gave her time to repent exactly Exactly. And of course, we think we're like upset by the metaphors in here, like throwing on a bed and great distress and her children will be murdered and all of this. Um, uh, it's clearly symbolic, as most of Revelation is symbolic <laughs> and metaphor and using this kind of mythic figurative language. Um, but 
But we should not confuse that symbolic, uh, those images for saying that the whole thing is symbolic and that God will not come and actually purge his people of this sin. Because, of course, Jesus has the sword coming out of his mouth. And we discussed yeah. in a previous letter, that sword will very easily separate people who are just in it for themselves and people who truly have faith. Hmm. And so this authority that Jesus possesses, where the Messiah, it's a reference to Psalm 2, where the Messiah is given authority to rule the nations with a rod of iron and smash them like a clay pot. So... I wouldn't be, I wouldn't get concerned about in the future Christians ruling other people with rods of iron. <laughs> if you conquer as Jesus conquered, which is to say not through a rod of iron, but through suffering, that is the only thing that made Jesus worthy to take the rod of iron and rule, right? Is to know that he was willing to go through the whole thing himself. So if you also are willing and you bear faithful witness, then this authority will be shared with you. And all you have to do, all these people have to do is hold on tightly. And he promises to give them the morning star, which later in the book, Jesus himself is the morning star, but I don't think we should get confused with that metaphor. Right here, we are most likely referring to the, the morning star in astronomy is venus which it's not actually a star <laughs> it's a planet <laughs> but it looks like a star wasn't so wasn't satan the morning star at some point too yeah um in i can't think of the reference <laughs> in Somewhere. the old testament yeah the most beautiful the morning star yeah yeah so why what who cares about the morning star that's metaphor. actually before that. That's kind of what I was thinking was like, um, okay, if it is a reference to like the accuser or Satan or whatever, then, you know, they don't have to worry about that guy anymore because they've got him in his hand. Well, actually, that's the whole message of the book of Revelation. Not that you it's it's not don't worry. <laughs> it's right, You yeah. definitely have something to be worried about, but it's in Jesus hand. Yeah. All along. And so when the reference to the morning star here is not a reference to Satan, um, I will give them the morning star. They'll have the same authority. It's basically in this city of compromise, in this city where it is so easy for you to fall into these practices because you value your life and your prosperity and your comfort more than you value your faith and the community of people who also have faith like you do if you value jesus if you truly believe in jesus your witness will be like the morning star it will be like the dawning of a new day and in this new day love and faith and service and patience will be what is uplifted not idolatry and immorality and compromise and all of the things that you have to do just to fit in with the crowds they will be exposed for the delusions that they really are. And then Jesus will establish his glorious reign over the whole world. Which, of course, he has the right to do. Because he is the one who was dead and is now alive forever. That's a pretty good uh, qualifier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was, you know, four churches. <laughs> we still have three more. Three more wow. little letters 
to real people. Which one's your favorite so far? I think my favorite is the letter to the Ephesians. Okay, yeah, the first one. Mm-hmm. But my you favorite, would... my actual favorite letter is still coming up. Okay. Is it Philadelphia? I'm not. It will be a surprise. No. Okay, no spoilers. Got it. No spoilers. I mean, you could, <laughs> like, you can uh, do your homework and read the next chapter, chapter three of Revelation, and then guess. <laughs> 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 or you could just wait till we release the next episode and then I'll tell you myself. I like that too. I feel like, uh, yeah, my brain is full and uh, I'm going to process this and I'm going to try and do a better job of remembering what we talked about next week. <laughs> <laughs> I and, don't uh, believe you, but I will forgive you. Well, I said I'm going to try. <laughs> Although I guess you could still not believe that. I do believe that you will try. Okay. I have good. faith. Thank you. I, I'm so excited and so happy to be doing these um yeah just thank you so much to everybody who's listening along with us i think this is really cool and hopefully you like it as much as we do absolutely and if you have any feedback let us know if you have my number text me or shoot us an email shoot us a contact form and check us out on social media because that's where we hang out yeah uh we're diff church on instagram and facebook and if you want to shoot us an email it's hello at diffchurch.com woohoo Bye. So, bye, friends.